into another episode of Cyberly. I'm your host, Blythe Bremley. On this show, we talk about B2B marketing, the attention economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And in today's episode, we're going to be focusing on content and how it's used within the industry to sell a variety of products, services, and news. And for years, content was sort of thought of as an afterthought. It wasn't the predominant way that we share online in today's world, and especially in the freight industry. And one person in particular has played a huge role in making content the forefront of how we think about marketing and sales within this space and how we think about, you know, personal branding and, you know, advancing your career. And that person is none other than Tim Dooner. He is the host and producer of What the Truck. He also manages the site Back the Truck Up, as long along with a variety of creators that happen to you know in, participate on that platform itself. So we're going to be talking all about content today. So let's go ahead and welcome in Dooner to the show, first time on as a official Cyberly guest. Welcome in Dooner. And we're probably just going to take a few more seconds to get him ready to roll. I think we're, you know, still hooking up, you know, some different connections, even though production, I think, is trying to play a little bit of a prank on me today since this is our... uh (laughs) <laughs> this is our last show live. So of course, this would be a situation where um, we would ha- be experiencing um, technical difficulties. He is not ready. He's experiencing technical difficulties right now. But let's talk about, I guess, sort of the greater overall influence of content within this space. And that is really one of those conversations that needs to be held in depth. And oh, yeah, well, production is uh, production is already telling me that he is ready to go. So let's go ahead and start the show off all over again. Let's welcome in Tim Dooner. He is the person responsible for making this content machine work, um, responsible for really helping a lot of creators within this space, you know, bring out their personality within content within this space. So welcome in Dooner. Glad to have you. Hey, I wore uh, some freight socks, special special <laughs> for you. These ones are for IMI. They're like little semi trucks on here. Yay! Get the little, freight socks true. Got to keep the uh, got to keep the little piggies. Got to keep them uh, nice and uh, nice and warm. By the way, sorry about that. So my new studio here is well, it's not my new studio. I'm redoing my studio. I got those like oh, crappy awesome. foam sound panels before, and I had them attached to the wall. And they kept falling off and they didn't do good. So I got all these like I got all these new sound panels, like these guys. And oh, I've been hanging cool. them up, but I forgot, I forgot I was on Wi-Fi and forgot to plug my Ethernet back in. So that technical difficulty, all my fault. And that's where I, I think a lot of folks don't understand, like when it comes to doing live versus doing recording, like things can just happen. And you got to be able to just make stuff up as you go. Like with my show prep document, I probably have 30 stories underneath it that I could just start talking about in case anything, you know, sort of goes on. But luckily, we have you back. The studio looks awesome. It's it's definitely, I think, come a long way for I think any content creator can say that about their their journey and how their setup looks and how, you know, they prioritize equipment. You less learned, things like that. But take me back to before you joined Freight Waves. Where did you see the opportunity evolve when it comes to creating content within this space as you were joining this company? You know, it's interesting because I was in uh, I was in operations, then I moved to sales, and I was in a sales role, and I did that for like three years. And I didn't really like the sales process. And on the way to work, I'm always listening to podcasts and stuff. And I talked to some friends of mine, and I was like, I want to start a podcast, but we didn't know what to make it about. And I didn't know what to talk about. And then as luck would have it, in in 2016, I got fired from a sales job. I was trying to start a podcast with them. I'd eventually decided maybe logistics would work or at least get 
paid to podcast with them, but they they fired me. So I needed like a living resume. I wanted to switch over to marketing. So and nobody would let me because I didn't have a degree in that. I'd been in operations, I'd been in sales, but you know, they wanted college kids with degrees, especially in freight, because we're not always the most creative marketers here. So I had to just go out and make something that I could like point to and say, hey, look, I can make this, I can promote this, I can make it. And when I looked at podcasting in freight, um, at the time everything was so like sponsored and webinar focused. And I didn't think you were hearing the conversations that I was hearing when I was at, you know, conferences and events in the hallway. And that was the initial thought. Let's have those hallway conversations on uh, a show. And that, that's morphed quite a bit since, but that was the initial idea was just to have like a product or a thing to point to, to help me get myself hired somewhere. And so when you talk about having those priorities initially, when you were joining Freightways, how have those priorities, I guess, shifted? Has you, have you shifted your content focus? Is it completely different now than what it was back then? I imagine some of it has changed, but probably the crux of it has, has remained, you know, I guess a strong focus on curiosity is what I hear you say often. Yeah, you know, the first show I did was an independent one. And I did that for about a year called The Shipping Pod. It, it took off uh, pretty quickly. Although at the time, nobody knew what like freight podcasting was, or they laughed at it, or they thought it was stupid, and it wasn't going to go anywhere. And like, Tim, you don't have a job. What are you doing with your life? Um, but my dad, like 10 episodes in, my dad finally came on as my first guest. And then, you know, I was able to get guests from there. And then this guy, Steve Aborn, at a company called Aborn and Company, now known as Freight Plus, at the time, he started keeping me afloat by hiring me to ghostwrite some blogs. And that eventually became a relationship where I made them their show Consulting Logistics and became their director of marketing. So that initial plan worked. Like to get hired in, in marketing, it worked. And thank you, Steve and, and Jill over at that company. They brought me on. And um, I interviewed Craig Fuller on that show. Um, when I was writing all my blogs and news write-ups, I kept seeing freight waves go up in like the SEO ranking and I saw their market waves event and it looked so awesome. It looked so much better than what I was seeing in New England at our event. So when I interviewed Craig Fuller, I knew it was dangerous because my goal was obviously to get hired at some point by Freightways. I knew I had to plug my microphone in there. I didn't realize it would happen like a couple days later, but it did. And then I got over to Freightways and What the Truck um, was an already existing show. JP and this other guy, Chad Prevost, who used to be here ran it, but they didn't really know what direction to take it in. So I joined the team with Chad. JP went to do more writing, which was his passion. And then I really, with the access I had now being with Freightways, I really wanted to make a magazine-style show that introduced people to concepts, cool tech, all these people that like we see on the LinkedIn or we don't see on LinkedIn. We just read their name in an article. I wanted a place where you could actually meet these people and get these ideas. And that's, that's the initial concept of What the Truck. And as someone who comes from, you know, a sports media background, sports entertainment media background, it was very clear as an outsider who was just, you know, working as an executive assistant at a 3PL to see, you know, some of the news that was coming out from Freight Waves. You could see them covering it very similarly to how sports, you know, treats a lot of the content that goes on within that industry. Why do you think that, you know, Freight Waves comes along and then they just dominate as far as like media coverage is concerned? They, they really sort of outpace a lot of their competitors when it comes to different coverages and, and what they choose to cover and why. Why do you, is that a good, I guess, safe bet or a safe assumption as to how Freight Waves was so, I guess, quick to stand out from the rest of their competitors in that current media space and even today? I think so. You know, and it takes a lot of trust. So in when I joined in April 2019, that was when we launched Freightways TV. And the initial team to launch that was Emily Zink, myself, um, Anthony Smith quickly came over to that team, Kevin Hill. So a lot of the backbone of shows that are still here, like the Freightonomics, 
put that coffee down, what the truck, Freightways Now, those that was the die that was initially cast that made Freightways TV what it is. Our editorial was on point. It's been on point for a long time. It's still on point. But building like that media side, a visual and audio media side, that was a, a real challenge. And I think what helped a lot was Emily Zink, she came from news media. So she understood how to cover things in a mainstream way. I came from listening to very mainstream podcasts. Even though I knew Freight, everything I liked had nothing to do with Freight. So I wanted to take all those ideas I liked from mainstream media or podcasts that sounded like podcasts instead of podcasts that sounded like webinars. And I wanted to bring that over into our tent. And we had a head start on people because let's face it, nobody really took podcasting seriously when I was doing it early on. And they didn't really take it seriously until they really saw freight waves getting out there. Then in 2020, during the pandemic, you had a lot of people who were home making offices, getting webcams. And then you saw this really great sort of grassroots indie movement of all of these podcasters, many of which in freight are still podcasting, which is really cool. Yeah, it, it's been really wonderful to see that growth because I think it was that that first Freightwaves event that went what, from in-person to virtual. That's where a lot of, I made a lot of like my internet friends that I now, you know, get to meet in real life, get to meet them next week. Again, at, you know, the F3 conference that's coming up. Now with you in particular, you've hosted so many damn shows. Like I think you just celebrated 500 episodes. Uh, I, by my <laughs> count, I think that that would be more than a thousand people that you've interviewed what has been the most, Close I to, guess... There's uh, well, like three. Yeah, there's three to four guests a show. So that is like, yeah, 1,200 to 2,000. I haven't counted, but it's a lot of people. <laughs> so you, you get a chance to talk to so many different people. Is there, a, is there, I guess, a way that a guest can stand out a little bit more to you, like in your eyes, when that would make you want to book them again in the future? Yeah, I, you know, when guests really get the show, like they understand the tone of it and they realize that, this is something people are listening to while they're in motion or they're watching passively. They're not sitting there with a pen and paper. I don't like when a guest comes on and they're just spilling out too much uh, when it sounds like a webinar. The whole reason I do this does not sound like a webinar. So it sounds like too much like a webinar and they're giving you nothing against webinars. Webinars are fine, but I want to make it like something that would never be confused for that. Um, so when people come on and they want to be a little bit too pitchy or they want to give too many numbers uh, or they're kind of dry and they don't give of themselves, that can be bad. What I really like is when someone comes on and they're like, here's who I am. Because one of the points of the show is too, it's not just to highlight companies. I'd rather not highlight companies. I'd rather highlight people in this industry because that's what I really thought was lacking when I started. So when they, when they get that, when they bring games on there, when they come in costume on Halloween, like that stuff is instant rebook. And so when, I guess, after you figure out, okay, a guest is really good to have on, we're going to have them on, schedule them into, a, I guess, a regular rotation. But what about that first initial guest? How can, I guess, somebody pitch themselves to be a guest on, on What the Truck? What stands out to you? Oh, you know, I do probably 99% of my bookings via social media. So I see what people are talking about on Reddit on LinkedIn, um, on Facebook, and on Twitter. And I jump in those conversations and I invite people on the show. I say, hey, this is a great conversation. Or like on LinkedIn, a lot of times people will like put out how they save their company money or they did something really good. They maybe like donated somewhere and they sent all these fleets somewhere. And it's like, that's the story I want to cover. And the magic of social media is that like, you don't have to go through all these PR people or agencies, or I know I wanted to be a marketer once, but God forbid, some of the marketers in freight who just get in the way of the conversation and they want to you know, script everything out and they, they don't understand what we're going for. But when they do, that is, that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, a challenge when the marketing team wants to know the questions in advance and they want to know if they can tweak your questions yeah. and tweak the order of like, them. That's, um, it's kind of exhausting. You definitely be a recipe to... 
Right. You want to want to be dynamic, right? I want to react to you. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And and speaking of, you know, all these shows um, that you've done, people that you've interviewed, all the shows that you've hosted, you recently took on another content project over the summer with the launch of Back the Truck Up. Explain to us a little bit about why that platform, why that site and brand was needed. So sort of like with podcasting, when I was like, sure, people are doing the webinar style, uh, but no one is doing this sort of focus on people style. Um with that, it was like, people are doing sites that cover trucking. People are putting news for trucking. FreightWaves does a great job of addressing the trucking market. But in a lot of ways, it's from the top down. And we wanted to go from the bottom up. And we're like, hey, there's all these other stories that we never really get to because they don't exactly fit in FreightWaves criteria. What the truck often gets this kind of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily fit in the tent of FreightWaves. So we were like, how can we address that? And the way we went about it is Craig Fuller called me up and he's like, hey, I want you to sort of assemble a team and build this site and put some ideas together. And um, we went out, we did some hiring. I knew almost immediately in doing interviews that the direction I needed to go in was to hire actual drivers. Um, Mm. Because I had like two types of resumes because of just my network of people. It was like all of these different truck drivers uh, or people in supply chain who were veterans who sort of already followed me on social media. And then it was all these like sort of college writer resumes. And um, it was clear that it would be a lot harder to teach like a writer about what it's like to drive in a truck and really speak to other truck drivers than actually just getting a truck driver with an interest in doing all that. So that's where Rooster and Super Trucker came in. And um, it's great because not only do they inform the content that goes on back the truckup.com, but they also inform and advise me about what comes on what the truck. Actually, you know, in terms of regulars, we don't really even have one what the truck because I always want to meet new people except for for them. And part of that is to promote what the truck, but it's also something I've really won on the show, which is to actually have a representative trucker voice. So that's why those guys come on every Wednesday and they sort of, we get to throw the stories at them different from the, you know, corporate or desk worker perspective, but from the actual driver perspective. And what do you guys actually think? Because I think so many times in the media, there's like, and on social media, people talk about drivers. There's sort of like this caricature, like all truckers Mm -hmm. think this way and all trucking works this way. And why don't truckers just do this? And it's a much more nuanced field with a lot of great people and a lot of great stories. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so I think starting with the people that are in the trenches is a super smart play, especially for a demographic within this industry that has hands down the best social media presence out of any demographic <laughs> in all of supply chain. It really is like I, I'm I was dumbfounded when I I did when I found out that there were no really other sites that existed until back the truck up to really centralize a lot of those discussions and debates and you know everything that's going on within that space. Now for a lot of content, uh, you, you mentioned earlier that we have a lot of creators within this space now. A lot of it kind of misses the mark. Where do you think or where do you see companies, I guess, kind of missing the mark with their content and where could they make you know, changes that, are, that will better get their message out to the in- intended audience? I think that the biggest mistake that marketers make is copying each other, usually. Like in freight, you just have so many copycats where everything's just an image of a truck and the uh, copy is all the same. And it's very hard to differentiate if you're just trying to be exactly like everybody else. Um, In terms of content, people are like, I love what Stored is doing. You know, I think the marketing guy over there is great. He's embraced meme culture. He hasn't been afraid of it. He understands how that that gets a ton of engagement. There's all these nerds who like put their pocket protector in and sit on LinkedIn, like writing these long ass posts. And you know, they get like 30 likes on it and they think they're the king. And then you got guys like Boris Panov out there who like puts out like a picture of a meme and it's got 750 
uh, likes on it. And if you know anything about LinkedIn, you know that the difference between 750 and 30 is like anywhere from 15,000 to 30,000 impressions. 100%. And then the, the, the shelf life of that content is going to stick around a hell of a lot longer than your, you know, I guess, your pontification on, you know, some random thing on LinkedIn for the day. Now, for if you, you have the luxury, and I think all of us within FreightWaves have the luxury of being able to work with a team. But a lot of these folks out here, they don't get that luxury. It's usually one person trying to convince the executive team, trying to, you know, get them to do a podcast or do, you know, a five minute video. It's like pulling teeth. So if you had to start completely over and you had to go make this content yourself by yourself, what would you choose to do by yourself? And then what would you choose as like a must to outsource, you know, to a freelancer or something? Yeah, like, because I have to try and think back because right now what I would do is different than like what I would do if I hadn't already sort of established who I am, because there's a lot of work that takes to even sort of get to that point where people can recognize the logo or your name or, or all of those things. And that's like, years of work like people hear they see like a post go viral and they're like oh wow like this is something new it's like man i've been at this since 2016 you know so this is not nothing's overnight everything is is a grind and that's like the first thing anyone should know too before you get into content this is a grind and it can be very unrewarding a lot of times and a lot of times you just have to push yourself through it and and get there but if you have some passion for it and you want to embrace it and you really do want an easy way to network with people like i don't know any other easier way than having a show to network with people. It's, it's so easy to just go, hey, like anybody I want to meet, except, I mean, within limits, but most people within freight that I want to meet, Elon Musk, he's still like a hard get. Um, Dubala is busy with Twitter, too, we'll see. Uh, but um, it, it's made it so much easier. But starting out, what I would say is, first, you got to figure out your angle, right? And that's going to take a little while, but like at least have an idea when you start a show. Like don't, I, I, get started is, is great advice and get the microphone, get started, start recording, but just have like an initial idea of where you want to take it, where you want to take yourself. Where you land is probably not going to be the same at all. Um, but if you're fighting that one person background, get an idea, get it going and be yourself. Because people, people flock to personalities. I probably have one of the loudest looks on Freight waves and it, it, it it's intentional. Like it, it's a contrast to everyone else. You know, I, I, I won't wear a freight waves now jersey because everyone wears a freight waves now jersey on the, on TV. So it stand out as a dude is to look like I look. You know, and I think that those things are small things, but they're very strong decisions that you make behind what you're doing. And I think if you start with the, the idea that this is going to form into a brand, that will guide a lot of your decisions moving forward. Now, for, you're, you're... I'm trying to think, what would I cover? I'm like, what would I, what would I cover to start? I think I would just, I would just cover what I would always do, what, what I naturally go towards, which is the red pill, which is looking for conversations that people are having and seeing either if I can bring something to that or I can find a guest mm-hmm. who can bring something to that. So I can, for two reasons. One, I want to learn more about the topic, but also it's just good business because that's what people are looking for. That's what they're talking about. Be in the conversation. You'll own it. And you'll see that against some of our competitors on the editorial side over the past year, where they were willing to go with data and criticism about overseas carriers versus what FreightWaves was able to, led to an incredible amount of growth for us because we were ahead on a lot of this data. So be risky too. So you're balancing, you know, that that unique point of view, a slight, you know, walking that line of being risque. And then you also, you do a really good job of balancing those, you know, those water cooler conversations. The, you know, is it the Game of Thrones, you know, finale happened last night or House of Dragons finale happened last night or is, you know, a new Star Wars show. How do you balance those water cooler conversations with sort of the, the data driven industry topics? 
You know, that we try to segment it a little bit in the show, but it's sort of baked into the tone. I, I think it's probably obvious to most people who watch. We have a little bit of ADD up there. So we don't like, you know, we get bored really quickly with topics. But I've always I've always liked like as long as the Internet's been around, I've always gravitated towards like weird and stupid news and like stupid human behavior. And fortunately, in supply chain, people do a lot of stupid things and like a lot of dumb <laughs> and crazy things happen in this business. So it's a very visual industry. So it's really easy to capture those conversations. But um, to your point, too, like just because we are in supply chain, if I have an audience captive for an hour, you're still people, right? And you're going to get bored and you may not want to just, and especially in the context of podcasting. Again, this is not a webinar where every single second of your time you want filled with like some sort of information. Instead, you want every single second of your time just filled, right? You want to you feel comfortable with it. Podcasting is like, it's very intimate, right? I take my podcast with me in the grocery store. I take them with me to the gym. Sometimes they're with me in the shower, you know? Uh, so it's a much different, it's a much different medium. And I think those conversations lend themselves to that medium because people want to hear People talk about these things. And sure, like maybe Andor has nothing to do with the price of tea in China, but it's still something people are talking about when, they're, when their mind is a little diverted from work. And um, it's fun to key in on those. Plus, you can learn more about people, right? It's like a Roshark test. Like, especially if they're so like caught up, that, oh, I just want to talk about freight. I want to talk about freight. Uh, that makes me like want to jostle them a little bit, get them a little bit outside their comfort zone and, and hear a little bit more about what they do outside of work, especially if they're like a founder or a CEO, right? Like, how did you build this place? And like, and like really think about it because I imagine that kind of work has to be way more encompassing than like the confines of an office. By the way, puppies, I think you're exactly puppies right. <laughs> Your puppies are great for rates. 100%. Join me, Randy. Do you have a, I guess, maybe like a favorite topic that you've ever discussed like on the show or ever debated about on the show? You guys had a great, you know, potato salad debate recently. I think you also have great candy debates. Like uh, you have dog appearances. So you're doing everything for the ratings, right? <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I love dogs, for example, like one of my favorite ones are whenever we do like dogs in the cab. And I remember that like a few months ago, you posted about how in Reddit they have a great forum for it. And it's true, like dog, it's, it's a very binding thing. First of all, animals and, um, and, and dog, thank you for being a good prop too. I didn't, I didn't even call for this. I'm just going to keep me. Uh, but those are always my favorite because you really, it's like learning your kids' names, like learning people's kids' names. You create a level of intimacy, and if you know their pets, people feel like you know them stronger, right? And so we put these things out. And it's like, hey, you want to you want to see your dog on on Freightways TV, and it's a great diversion for drivers. You kind of talked earlier about how drivers kick ass on social media, and that's another one of those sort of like stereotypes people have, and that's oh, drivers don't know anything about technology. The hell they don't. Drivers like dominate on TikTok and YouTube and had smartphones before all y'all. So don't get don't get it wrong over there. So that that's my favorite topic is, is definitely dogs. That was actually when I used to host the, the XM show. The most callers we ever got was about a trucking company banning dogs from the cab, and everybody called in with an opinion. I'd never had it light up, and we had like that much, and we had like twenty five people on the switchboard within five minutes. And I was like, cool. I like dogs. We could talk about dogs whenever we want. And I think too that, that you also bring up a great point. It's those things that bind us together separate from the work that we do. You know, nobody wants to talk about work all day long, every single day. We want to talk about the things that we do in our off time. And so bringing those conversations in just feels completely natural. Now, do you have a, a, a maybe a story in freight or outside of freight, like a dream interview or a story that you want to tell and just haven't been able to tell yet? Well, first, I mean, my first dream interview at the time was Craig Fuller because I, I was so like, 
you know, when you haven't been to a place yet either, you don't really know it. It seems kind of like uh, uh, unapproachable and all those kind of things. So I was so psyched when they were like uh, doing that futures tour because I'm like, great, he might want to promote this and I might have uh, a shot. And that kind of turned in. And I really knew that I had to get over to freight waves. But I'd also, I, I would, I mean, I would love to talk to, like, who wouldn't want to talk to Elon Musk? Like, like him or hate him. The guy is, you know, he's got space. He's got SpaceX up there. Russia says they're going to shoot down their satellites. We got Star Wars. Like we're on the cusp of that, or you know, we could get nuked any day now. Um, but Elon's like at, at the forefront of like all these different issues that are that are not just going on this year, but just in the EV space and all that, and the changing shape of trucking. Whether you believe the Tesla Semi will do that or not, I, I, you know, the jury's out. But he's definitely going to have a big presence. And uh, yeah, Elon, anytime, man. At Timothy Dooner. We're both on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I co-signed that. I think, it, you know, when he officially is buying Twitter this week and showed up to Twitter headquarters carrying a kitchen sink, <laughs> got a, a great laugh out of that because he's just a quirky, genius, mad billionaire type guy. He's a complex guy. And I think, you know, he, he's he, he makes a lot of decisions that make people um, uncomfortable. And I kind of find that fascinating to, to watch I, in addition to all the cool stuff he does. I was... I was looking at him walk in there too with the sink and I'm like, I feel like I would have so much anxiety walking into that place, like giving like all the controversy and everything. I would dread walking through that door so much, but I'm also like not the richest man in America. I would, it, it, <laughs> I thought it was cool. Right, they, <laughs> I think the employees, they kind of have to suck up to him right now in case they, you know, they, they want to yeah. keep their job. <laughs> so with, with all of the time that I guess, you know, you, you, then the time that you spend online that is required in the nature of content creation, you have to read a lot of things. You have to listen to a lot of things. And with all that time, how do you decompress? How do you, you know, sort of, you know, step away in order to, I guess, get your bandwidth back in order to have a great show? You know, it, my kids, that's, that's who I, my kids and my, my family, I got a uh, six-year-old and eight-year-old boys and um, it's just awesome watching them grow. And, uh, especially with the pandemic and everything, I have a lot of time to work from home. I have a home studio. Um, you know, they're at school. They don't get home to like 3.30 or whatever. But by the time I'm done with work, they're settled back into the house and we get to hang out. And that's that's kind of what really sort of matters to me at this stage in my life, especially because like they're growing so fast, right? And I don't have this moment. Like I won't have it forever. So like they want to play Pokemon or, you know, they want to play some Nintendo Switch or anything. I'm I'm totally done. I give them so much of my time because I know that there will be a time when, you know, they won't think I'm cool. Oh, Probably. well, hopefully, you know, it'll kind of evolve like a good, you know, sort of parent-child relationship, which obviously you have a, a great oh. relationship with them. And, you know, outside of the few teenage years, then... I gotta tell you a secret, I gotta tell you a secret, though. I hope Sebastian doesn't listen to this. So my, my five-year-old is turning six at the end of November. And he asked, initially asked for like a Nintendo Switch, the handheld one, not that, the one that doesn't go on the dock, Switch Lite. And, um, hmm. Yeah. Then he started getting more into Pokemon and podcasting. And then he was like, for my birthday, I don't want the Switch anymore. Um, what I want is some podcasting equipment and some Pokemon. So I got him some nice Sir yeah. SM58s. I don't know why you get a six-year-old <laughs> SM58s, but he'll never break them. Like the strongest mic on earth. I got him some nice stands. I got him a little, um, uh, I got him a little, uh, what's it called? Uh, a digital converter. You can plug two XLRs into it Stop. and you can plug it into the computer and he's got a laptop. And he already had the laptop. We had to get that when he was going back to school. But now he's got to show Sebastian the truck. He's just been recording it through like the computer speaker, but now he's got like a little bit of a, a setup for himself. And, uh, you know, it's I not like, release. It's like a home, like a home podcast, but like, yeah, it's his like family. He's on like episode eight now. <laughs> what is he, what is he covering? What is it? What are his talking points? Pokemon? 
anything that like he can think of at the moment. He's also just like, you know, just about to be six. And he's like, dad, why do you, you know, it's eh, like little kid, <laughs> little kid questions. But I think it's really cool that he's taking an interest in this. And it's a really good way to train him um, on computers and stuff like that, like audio mm-hmm. editing computers, how files work. And I've always found like, I know myself having trouble learning when I'm not interested in things um, that, the best time to get someone, though, it, especially with like like the ADD brain, is when they're in hyper focus or they're highly interested in something because you will jump right into it, you'll absorb it, and you'll like take all the energy out until it, until it's hollow and, and dead. Well, I think that's the cutest thing. I think <laughs> you know, once you you have to like record all of it and then like maybe release it in like snippets of like a best of of like his podcast. I would absolutely listen to that, and I think a lot of the a lot of the listeners and viewers would as well. Now, you've you covered so much ground with the content that you've created and the strategies and everything that goes into it. But I'm curious if there's another part of content that you want to dive more into and you just haven't had the chance yet. I don't know, maybe short form video or uh, you know, whatever is out on the market, or, or is there something that you want to do more of? Yeah, my other obsession. So, like, other than podcasting, the other thing I really, really love is YouTube, and I love like well-produced. There's so many amazing content creators with small teams that make these incredible, like, ten-minute videos that um, explain something. Like, they t- a lot of them tend to be in like true crime, but I mean, they have them. They have them for everything, and. I- I'd really love to get into that where we have um, someone on, you know, someone, a production team that's making those kind of videos too. Because I think our YouTube channel could definitely use that content. I don't know if that would be on the back of the truck's upside or the freight wave side or both, but I would really like to see more of that content made. I think a lot of these conversation stuff is cool, is is fine. But me personally, like um, on the video side, I would like to see more of that type of video. 100%. 100%. I can't tell you how many like CNBC style videos that I watch. Wendover Productions is another one. They have a lot of great oh, he- logistic stories. Th- those are Dude, incredible channels. And they channels. have like 5 million views. You ever see it? Like, it's so amazing to me. Like the YouTube and just how content, like content communities and conversations have changed. Because like when you and I were growing up as kids, you, you, there, it was very water cooler in terms of people watched. There's only several cable channels. People like everyone watched American Idol or everyone watched uh, the ABC special or everyone watched this particular thing. And it made everything else seem much smaller. But now you go in there and anything you look up, like the kids got into Pokemon, I started out to research Pokemon. Obviously, like Pokemon's big, so there's going to be huge channels. But then there's other things, like in the algorithm, it showed me this one channel where people put blindfolds on and they're like on a, a date, like literally like a blind date. It's called The Cut. And never heard of it before. The clips started going viral. And it's like this channel that has like, I don't know, 8 million subscribers and each video gets like 2.5 million views. I mean, all these things are like, micro huge right and i think they're so cool and i wish i i would just like to tap deeper into those communities and crack that youtube code 100 that that's definitely on my my goal list i feel like i'm just sitting on so much content and there's just not enough hours in the day so you know how do you prioritize how do you revamp you know your your strategy let me turn it on you how do you do that because you make a lot of stuff you have to manage a lot of uh clips and content i do and it can be tough because sometimes you're promoting content that like you made a few days ago, you've already moved on to something else. Your head is thinking about this. And then you kind of have to be like, okay, I'm back interested in, in the, how do you manage all of that stuff? 
I, I try to think about the distribution before I think about the creation of it. So I'm already thinking like, okay, I'm going to cover this story and I, I, how would I make a TikTok out of that? And then how do I reverse engineer into the long form conversations? Because some of the stories admittedly that I've done on Cyberly uh, definitely should have just been a YouTube video or should have just been a TikTok video where, you know, you can have visuals go along with it and it's not as good for, you know, the audio environment. So I think for me, thinking about what the end result is going to be distribution wise, and then trying to reverse engineer it, if if that makes sense. I'm, I'm also just going through like an entire like just content revamp of like, what do I want to prioritize? And what do I not, you know, what needs to be prioritized? And what is kind of a back burner item? I think if that makes sense. So it's all kind of like, what is what I was gonna ask, like, so what it's like, for me, my process is because again, like, like you have to create a ton of content. So what I always do every single day uh, is I have, like, on my phone, Notepad. Everything starts on Notepad. And, like, anytime I see something interesting on, on Twitter, Reddit, anywhere, it goes in that Notepad. And I immediately am writing shows or newsletters already in my head. So by the time I get to, like, the Google Doc to put all this stuff, I just, there's no notes or anything. There's just the links. I forward it to myself. But I've already read all these links. And I've already read all these things. So then, for me, that's just taking, pulling assets from all these different links, um, combining any stats or information I need, and, like, and putting it into... Uh, my production run sheet. So I like everything for me has to be very, very processed. And I, I kind of hate when I get knocked off that, that process because it's almost like freight, right? Like because there's so much volume, the timing is very critical. And if content congestion happens, it messes everything up. It really does. I mean, you really have to have that process nailed down. I I have like a whole system for organizing notes. You know, I'm I'm online all day, every day. And so I'm I have a system for organizing those thoughts and then taking it from the organizational standpoint to the execution standpoint is two totally different systems. So I, I try to manage it that way. But even then, I just feel like I have so many ideas and not enough time to actually execute them. So I think the challenge for me is trying to find the balance of the idea and the execution and what what does that plan look like? And you know, so you know what's of, interesting? You, oh, go ahead. Well, I just want to, because well, it's on my mind, because earlier you said, what was some advice you'd make to some creators? And I think the best advice I can give, and it's something that, that grew the show a ton. Um, I used to focus a lot, like almost exclusively on LinkedIn. And it's mm-hmm. good, but I think one of the things you'll find out on LinkedIn is, and you can look at your like, eventually like you, you kind of hit a bu- like a bubble. I mean, you can keep growing, but there's sort of like, a bubble and you find out that you're starting to make content for like these, these same 30 people where um, I think when you, if you expand out, you challenge yourself on the TikTok and the Twitter, not only you find a whole new crowd of people, but you'll find a whole new crowd of conversations too. I'm not saying like abandon LinkedIn, but like obviously use LinkedIn, but also bring in these other, these other areas. So that's what I would say. Don't like, and you know, LinkedIn gets shut down like with social media, any one of these platforms gets shut down at any moment. So I would say the one danger I see if I were like, if I was like a social media auditor or a podcast auditor, with some of the shows that are running, they're building too strongly on one foundation. Yes, because then you, you like you said, you open yourself up to a situation where it's you could get shut down. Uh, I, I have a girlfriend of mine. She had thousands and that like 30,000 followers on Instagram. And then one day she just gets shut out of her account. She has no access to her audience. And good luck trying to get in touch with Instagram customer service because that's going to be a challenge. They don't technically exist. And so it's just one of those situations where pick a couple platforms and, and see where your creative energy comes from. For me, creative energy comes from TikTok because that style of story storytelling 
I think is so fascinating and how it ties into long form conversations and how podcasters and video YouTubers are making that short form content that transfers into the long form where people want to listen to more, I think is just so fascinating. And, and I love the storytelling aspect on that platform. Have you dived into to TikTok a lot? Yeah, you know, we've we've built up um, the strongest TikTok in the house at Freight Waves over on Back the Truck Up. Uh, I have my own personal one. Uh, mine's a little bit more hit or miss than the, I don't know why the Back the Truck Up one does better. It's not like there's, I mean, I don't have Justin on my own, I guess. So he's not helping me. I don't have his like giant bald head and huge beard. My beard's quite a bit smaller than his. So maybe the ladies don't like it as much. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I've had a couple of big hits, but he's had like a couple million bangers, you know? Um, but here's the thing, too, with social media is like, I know everyone gets frustrated at first because like when you initially start, you don't have any followers and like you don't get that many likes or retweets. Like, who cares? Especially if you're doing it in B2B. Um, some of our like lowest watch shows had the most impact because the right person watched them. The right CEO or founder saw it. And then like they wanted to advertise or they wanted to come on. And then them coming on in turn brought in their entire office to be viewers. And, and their presence, because they're known in the industry, brought in all these other viewers. So it's one of those things where you, you just keep fighting. Don't put too much... I mean, they're, they're all like vanished views. The real results are what can actually happen from the show and those conversations that you you have. And you're so right on TikTok. And I think that one of the reasons that it's crucial to get involved with TikTok, even if you don't like it, is the editing style and the information style that's happening there is the trend of the way things are going. So observing that and seeing how people edit and how they're succinct with information, avoid that at your own peril. That's all I'll say. I think you should be there. Yeah, it's it's definitely the the place where you can have the most organic growth right now. And that will probably evolve in the future. But that's the skill set that you're building on that platform is how to tell stories to that specific audience. That's not necessarily going to work on any of these other social media platforms. It might work a little bit, um, but it really, it, it feels like the new way to do many documentaries, many like fact checks, like many, it just news in general and sharing something cool that you found out for the first time ever. Like I, it completely random. I for nonstick pans, for example, I saw this trick that you can take <laughs> tin foil and crumble it up and spread it out on a pan, and you don't need to, you know, grease the pan at all whatsoever. And your food doesn't stick to it. Learn that on TikTok, and they have a brilliant marketing campaign around that style of content. So I, I, I couldn't agree more about you know just using those types of platforms as seeing how storytelling is evolving, and then that way you're building up your skill set. So it if and when TikTok ever goes away, LinkedIn ever goes away, that you can take those skill sets and build on another platform because it's never going to stop with just these. There's always going to be more. Well, also, I mean, we're a TLDR society, right? I mean, nowadays we are. When people don't want to sit there, I think that like when people do, they want to go deep, right? It's sort of like Netflix. Like when they take a documentary, it's like they take it over like three or 10 episodes. That's like a huge commitment. But, I, you know, to go into, I like that. Uh, I, I love that something like TikTok, if you want to know about greasing nonstick pants, you know, it's like a 60 second commitment, right? It's not a 10 minute video. It's not a multi-part series. It's not an article you have to read with a bunch of garbage. It's like, okay, it's visual. You can see it quick. The search engine works pretty damn well. Um, and uh, again, you can pass the time. Although here's the trick where they get you. You think like you're going to be on there for, you know, 90 seconds learning about that. And then it's like two hours later. Yeah. And then you get the warning from TikTok that says, whoa, you've been scrolling for too long. And it's like, get out of here. Mind your own business. <laughs> Rate limit exceeded on Twitter is like my nightmare. I, if you, I guess if you go like this enough, they just literally like, no, we're not refreshing you every second that you want it, Dooner. 
So we, we've talked a lot about these different platforms, some some strategy on, you know, how to get out there. But what if, you know, say you're a freight broker or you're maybe working in accounting and you want to start, you know, getting creative online. You want to start, you know, voicing your opinion. What advice would you give to those those folks that are sitting in the office and, and want to do, you know, a, a show like yours or maybe, a, you know, a show like mine or anybody out there that wants to share their voice? What advice would you give them? Um, it, you know, it's... It's interesting because again, it's it's sort of that grind. And I think that if people can't commit to it, like we've had people come in, do a podcast, and after like five episodes, they, they you know, they they give up or like they stop they stop doing it weekly and then it it all falls to to hell, right? Like you gotta get to like fifty episodes at least before you're gaining traction. So don't even walk through this door unless you're willing to, you know, to put some grind into it. And if you do put the grind in it, that is no guarantee that any of that stuff is is going to work. Um it's a little tougher when you're doing your own company, right? Or it can be easier or it can be tougher. It can be easier because like then if you do something wrong, it's your company that gets the blame, um, which could potentially be tough and freight if you decide you're going to go in a more controversial direction. But I think that like if I was doing it for a company, I would, I would still do the sort of content marketing thing, which was what I was doing with uh, Aborn and Company Freight Plus with Consulting Logistics, which was a little more focused on like what they actually do in their offerings. The real freeing thing about being outside of a company like that and having a show like What's the Truck is I can talk about kind of anything within the industry. But yeah, if I had to focus much more, I would focus on what we did well. Aborn Company, they were a uh, 4PL. We did a lot of like freight auditing and stuff. So we would cover the things that you don't usually like. We would cover like chargebacks and like looking at RFPs and all of that kind of stuff and how to uh, approach them. But not necessarily like the, the nuances of breaking them down, more about how you would go about having those conversations with somebody else, with a, with a partner or someone else. So the person listening to it is like, oh, okay, that's how you, you, you do that. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely easier for a lot of folks to get started with a partner and that way you can bounce those ideas off of and, and find a good groove. I don't know that I ever would have started making content online if I didn't have a co-host and then get to the point where, you know, you hate your co-host so much that you decide yeah. to start your own show <laughs> or you want more airtime or maybe you just want more experience. All of those different situations are, are, are going to pop up during your content creation journey, but you're not going to have it all figured out at once. You're just... Get started, but get started with a good microphone. I think is probably the best advice I could give to people. You you bring up a good point, though. It, it can be tough with with co-hosts, especially starting out if there's uh, no money involved. There's there's equipment. Um, one of you is probably going to be more into it than the other, and if you're the initiator, it's probably going to be you. And at some point, you're probably going to get really frustrated when this person cancels on you or they can't make it on time. So that can that can be tough. And understand that going into that if it's your thing, you're going to have to kind of take ownership of it. Um, and you're, you're lucky if you're going to go host who's going <laughs> to do exactly as much as you, especially on that independent side. Um, but I've seen uh, like independent ones work, work out great. Uh, my, when I first started, I had a co-host. He, he kind of did that to me though. Like after nine episodes, he, he kind of was like, nah, I'm busy with school, dude. You, you're on your own. And um, I was like, shoot, should I quit? And I was like, I can't quit. I don't even have a job. <laughs> I, can't, I can't fire myself from the, from the only job I don't have. I'm just going to keep going. And that's when I, that's actually when I got my first guest. And I called my dad up. He'd been um, president of Roanoke Insurance in New York and in Boston, Maritime Insurance. He was very well known in the Boston area, the show I was trying to grow in the Boston area. So he was helpful to be my first guest. And he actually gave me some credibility to some other people in the industry who decided to come on. And, you know, never hurts to ask uh, dad to sit behind the microphone or, or someone you know, you know, a, a bigger name guest than yourself. That's another great way to grow a show too. And I think especially in freight podcasting, like mm. all of us here, like it's still a business where 
many of us came from being indie first, right? Like we didn't get hired by a company professionally right out the gate. We, we had to take our lumps and our seasoning doing this at a kitchen table with $15 cheap microphones on Amazon while attending rehab, trying to get better for your family. Maybe that was just me. But a lot of us have. And I think you'll find people who are like really receptive. And if you reach out and say, hey, I'm launching this show, um, can I get any advice? Or can I, can I, you know, can you come on and, you know, help us out? I think you'll find out that most people are pretty receptive to that. And a lot of guests are too, like that fear of reaching out. Um, even with the amount of great podcasts that there are now, a lot of people in this industry don't, still don't get much attention or much opportunity to go out. Like I remember when I was with Freight Plus, we started out and I remember we went to this one company, it wasn't Freight Waves, it was this company with a paywall on their site and we wanted to advertise with them, right? And they were like, oh, an advertorial with us is like $15,000 and um, you know, doing a webinar with us is like $28,000. It was like these crazy exorbitant prices. But it, it made me realize something too that like I could, if, if I was with Freight Plus for longer, I really would have used that to key in on the people in this industry that don't get that attention, the ones that aren't like mm -hmm. the Bradley Jacobs of, of XBO or Jeff McCandless, who I, I love and have on What the Truck all the time, but he's not gonna have a trouble getting booked. But there's a lot of people who will, or these newer companies, especially in like the freight tech scene, that they have to spend a lot of money in advertising to get their message out there. I think when you start out, you don't initially try to monetize it, you try to make those relationships, you have those guests on and you form it there and you go from there. And if you do a great job from so, for some of these people, they're going to realize that it's probably easier to hire you than it is for them to go out and build this from the ground up. So that's, I would kind of do what I did again, like from the start, because it worked. Yeah, I, I would completely echo that statement because the more I try to tell people to get, you know, I'm so, I love podcasting and I love creating content so much. And I try to convince the world that they should be doing it too. But a lot of times people just, they don't stick with it. I think the overwhelming majority of podcasts never make it past 10 episodes. It, there's a lot yeah. of fear that's involved in that process. And then some people just don't have it. And, but you don't know if you don't have it until you get the reps and you have to get the reps and you have to be committed in order to make those micro improvements along the way. Like you didn't, obviously you didn't start out with a beautiful studio and, you know, microphones and lighting and all of that. You started, like you said, with a $15 Amazon microphone and you put in the reps. And I think that that's a lot of people want to skip all of those steps in between and get right to the good lighting and the great backdrops when it's like, no, you, you really got to put in the work ahead of time in order to make it work. No, exactly. And it's, it's like building any kind of, um, it's like building any kind of business, except the thing with podcasting is also like a lot of, especially when you start out, a lot of that income is going to be indirect. So you kind of need either that sort of goal of like, okay, for six months, I'm just going to do this, build relationships, and then going to try and use have someone hire me on or bring my podcast on or advertise with, um, with my podcast. But yeah, initially you, you got to go through, you, you got to go through that stuff. And it only makes sense. Like everyone does R and D on their products or whatever they're doing. If you expect that you're going to go and buy a microphone and like, everyone's going to know who you are as a podcaster right away. That's incredibly arrogant. Like it just does not work that way unless you're someone like really famous starting a podcast. But I know a couple founders who've tried to start podcasts and guess what? It didn't work out. And the reason why is not because people didn't know them, but it's also a lot of work. It's that grind. And they realized like, I got to spend more time focusing on my business than I can do like a weekly or take the time it is to form an audience. Because that's the other, the other crappy part about podcasting like, is like discovery is so hard. That's why we started our Freightcast channel, which is just a feed with every single podcast we put out. 
all on one feed. So like we can use sort of bigger shows like What the Truck or whatever and tell people to go to that and they can get exposed to all like the new shows we're making that it's very hard to get people to subscribe to initially. Uh, 100%. And I, and I think that that is something that people care too much. You, you, you sort of mentioned this earlier. People too care, care too much about the vanity metrics and not enough about the right metrics. You don't need 12,000 people viewing a show that's never going to buy from you if you're selling a product or a service. You really want to focus in on those 10 people that might buy from you. And those are the sure. 10 people that matter the most because those have direct impact on your ROI. And ROI looks different for every creator out there. It's whether you want brand deals or sponsorships or um, you just want to use the podcast as a way to meet you know, cool, interesting people and have conversations. There's an ROI that's different for everyone. And But speaking of you know all of this different content creation that's going on, Got a big event going on next week with F3. Yeah. How are you preparing for it? What are you looking forward to the most? All that good stuff. Uh, you know, it's really cool. So they put the agenda out recently and we all heard like Festival of Fright. Like what, what does that mean? Like I knew there would be some bands and stuff. And now I've finally seen the agenda and I get it. It's cool. Like, um, and I'm curious how this will work. And I hope we do this. I, I hope it's a success so it carries on because I really like the format we're going for here, which is like eight in the morning, things start. Um, by 3.30, you know, we got like the Freightways TV live stage, you get all the speakers, but by 3.30, you know, by the time everyone starts dragging ass, uh, it's time to go out on experience. You get to go outside. It's 72 damn degrees all week long. We're out here in Chattanooga Woo! and you get to go outside. You get to these experiences. We have uh, bands and concerts. So I think the real value people extract from a lot of these things is the networking. And where a lot of these things fail is they don't create enough networking opportunities because they want to squeeze so much value out of like speaker and sponsor opportunities. And I understand that. That makes sense. It's a conference. But the, to the person coming there, they want to meet people. They want to do business deals. They want to make new friends. They want to know what's out there. And I think you're going to get all that opportunities between the demo companies, between the speakers we have on stage. And you even have like curiosity stuff. Like, what is Manny Teo going to talk about? I have no idea. I saw the Netflix thing. But like, I, I've never heard a like business speech from him or anything. Is he going to talk about that? Is he going to talk about his past? Is he going to talk about Notre Dame? Is he going to talk about all of it? I don't know. All I know is I'm going to sit in that room and listen, Blythe. Because it's going to be awesome. Yes, it's going to be great. I, that that Manti Teo documentary is one of the best things that I have seen in a very long time. And I remember, you know, early internet days, that was one of my first like sort of, I don't want to say it viral hit on, on my blog, but that was one of the first things that really took off on my site. And it was because of the internet, you know, water cooler conversations around this guy and to see how far he's come afterwards. I'm super pumped to he, him and Peter Zion are the people I'm looking forward to the most um, to being at F3. But there's lots of content going on. There's obviously lots of experiences going on with next week and all. But in the meantime, and after F3 and all that good stuff, where can folks follow more of your work, follow what the truck, back the truck up, all that stuff? Yeah, well, so we don't have a show on Monday. So our Halloween show, which is my one of my favorites, aside from the Christmas show, is my favorite to do every year. It's tomorrow. The dude and I, we got these giant, uh, these giant dinosaur inflatable costumes. We'll be interviewing people in. I can't wait. Last year we did Squid Games. Um, Michael Vincent still complains to this day that he couldn't see out of his mask the entire time. And uh, so we'll see how I, I can't wait to hear him complain for a full other year about how we sweat to death in this this Tyrannosaurus Rex costume. But we got NASA on. Like NASA is one of my favorite guests. We go deep space logistics. The funny thing is, like metric wise, those shows, like the NASA ones, do a little slightly worse than like all the other ones. But I don't even care. I think it's really cool. And I think it brings in a different audience. And that's also why, like, you know, talking about earlier, the views thing, like, I think you get a different view on that. So even it's Lester, it's newer. So cool. Um, 
But yeah, you want to find me on Twitter at Timothy Duner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'll hook up with anyone unless you're a podcast promoter um, from Taiwan. I get way too many of those on LinkedIn. Sorry, I hit click the X on all of you. Um, uh, what else? Uh, you can find What the Truck, wherever you get podcasts. Just look up What the Truck or uh, download Freightways TV app. You can watch our ugly faces or you can watch it every day live, right? Not every day. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern time. And backthetruckup.com is another place. You can find what the truck stuff there, all that sort of trucking, the stuff my trucker guys write, the Back the Truck Up podcast, which is both those truckers hosting a show, talking to other drivers. So if you really want to get deep in that world, head on over to backthetruckup.com too. Well, that's awesome. All great stuff. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I was only supposed to go uh, 30 minutes today on the show, but conversation <laughs> makes it easy with, with folks like yourself. So thank you, Dooner, for being the last guest of the weekly Cyberly show. Oh, so wow. couldn't ask for a better person to, to you know, I guess, kick this mm-hmm. off with or not really kick this off in the game. I don't know. It's football season, but um, my team's already out of it. So what do I know? Where's Will still see? I know. I'm sorry about that comparison I made to blank sailings and the Jaguars. It was just, it was just a pro. They, you guys have the best pictures of tarp seats in the league. Uh, but I think, you know, I think there's, there's some promise there. Do, well, hold on. Do you think Blondie is going to make it? You like I him? I hope so. I this is it's, okay. it, I, he's is starting with Gabbard? a clean slate for me. He's he's the first. He's oh. he, we'll we'll see. I uh, we'll see. <laughs> Mark Brunel's here. Uh, Blaine Gabbard's here. Which one is he closer to? Uh, I think he's better than Mark Brunel, but I, I, you know, Mark oh, Brunel and I, over are, here. you know, I, 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 I think he's, I, I'm a David Garrard fan. So David Garrard is still the hierarchy for me. So it's David Garrard, Blake Bortles. Didn't he injure Trevor, himself once? <laughs> Didn't David Garrard injure himself on hard knocks walking to his pool? I don't think he was so. with Miami at the time. <laughs> he was with Miami. He was with Miami at the time, I think. I I would hope not. That would be, it would not surprise me. Let's just put it that way. We've had a lot of, um, bad things happen to our franchise. Yeah. (laughs) But thank you again, Dooner. This this was awesome. Great conversation and look forward to seeing you at F3. I'll see you next week. (laughs) Awesome. Yes. All right. Well, as we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, this is the last sort of, uh, not sort of, this is the last weekly Cyberly show. So I want to, you know, sort of get some housekeeping notes out of the way. Um, It's not goodbye for, for Freight Waves. I will still be appearing weekly uh, 10 a.m. Wednesdays on Freightwaves Now. Still every week, that's not changing. Um, and you can still watch all of the past 61 plus episodes. I counted yesterday, 61 episodes so far. Today makes 62. Um, as far as Cyberly is concerned, so you can catch all of those over on Freightwaves TV or any of the podcast apps of choice. Don't forget F3, I will be there as well. But before we sign off, For the final time on the weekly show, I did want to give a huge shout out and a huge thanks to the production team, Uh, Tanner, Isaiah, Christian, Frazier, Cody, all of those people, the Boiler Room Boys, as you're seeing on uh, TV right now. Um, I've kind of asked a lot of them over the last few months, especially when it comes to, you know, the B-roll side of things. And uh, they, they put it all together like an orchestra. And a lot of them are Titans fans. And as a Jaguars fan, I've never pictured myself, you know, sort of a... Uh, working with Titans fans, but then I found out that they kind of don't care about Jaguar fans at all. And I've just been kind of screaming into the void since 99. Um, So that's one aspect of the things that I wanted to give out. And then on the other side, the unsung heroes, people that you don't hear much 
about on the show. That's Todd for always encouraging, you know, me to think about this show as a show and not, you know, quote unquote, just a podcast Um, to Kevin Hill, David Bradford for thinking of me and ultimately giving me this opportunity. Um, Colleagues like Dooner, Grace, Mary, Thomas, Kaylee, Anthony, Bill, Rachel, Justin, Ingrid, and more. Um, Y'all are brilliant. And I love watching, you know, all the content that you guys create. If you want to, oh, wait, one more final thing and probably the most important one. Big thanks to Craig Fuller for giving his platform Freight Waves over to B2B creators to create content that they're really passionate about. I will see all of you next week at if three. Uh, but until then, go Jags and check out more of my work over at everythingislogistics.com.